0: Hello and welcome back to another episode of Open Floor. I'm Andrew Sharp and on the other line, Ben Golliver. What's up, man? How are you?
1: Not too much, Andrew. I just got done with a five state journey across the country. I chased the elusive bighorn sheep through Montana, Wyoming, finally found some in South Dakota. It was great. But I think the real story here is your return. I mean, you were on vacation for what? Like, three months, four months, something like that. I didn't even know we, (laughs) don't we call that a sabbatical at some point? Uh, Where were you? And I mean, really, first of all, welcome back, because it's nice to talk to you when it's not like an emergency Kyrie podcast. But where were you? How was it? And are you ready to reassume the host chair and all the pressure that goes with it?
0: I'm so ready. The substitute teacher is gone. I'm back. <laughs> it feels great. Um, and if you feel recharged after 10 days wandering around South Dakota, imagine how recharged I feel after six weeks away. It got a little ridiculous. Uh, I was off the grid for most of it, although started to cheat a little bit over the last week or two, but I, I feel great. And I'm, I'm excited to be back in the mix. Back, back to the takes. Yeah,
1: well, when you left, Obama was still president. We weren't in a nuclear war <laughs> with North Korea, and three quarters of the country wasn't on fire. So, uh, welcome back. Uh, no, in all in all seriousness, though, a kind of a lot has happened in the NBA. I wouldn't say any major like A list stories besides the Kyrie thing have gone down, but there's been a bunch of like smaller stories kind of bubbling, right?
0: Yeah, there's there's a lot that we need to cover and. I want to start by saying, hit us up at openfloormail at gmail.com. We've got a good amount of questions over the past month or so that have come in, and we're going to do another mailbag on Friday. I miss the mailbags the most. It'll be good to get back in and answer your questions, but if you have any others, hit us up over the next few days, and we'll hit those on Friday. But yes, you're right. There's a lot of little topics out there that have sort of flown under the radar that we should talk about. Um, Let me tell you what I've got on my list here today, and we can hit them in any order you want. I just
1: love that it's your Um, list and not my list anymore. My (laughs) life's so much easier. This is great. And you'll notice, by the way, on the mailbag subject, I did a great job of asking for the questions, but I didn't answer a single question over the entire time that you were gone. This is why we need you, Andrew. Like I can't be soliciting questions for six weeks and then not answering any of them. So we're gonna really clean out the backlog on Friday, right?
0: Yeah, it's good. We're getting back in gear here. We had kind of a skeleton crew for the last <laughs> month or two. You you really held it down. Thank you for keeping the pod alive. And uh and now in basketball, it's it's kind of insane how quickly the season's coming. So uh it's time I think we're going twice a week right out of the gate here. But um as far as today, we've got Lakers tampering, we've got Kyrie Trade and Kyrie press conference. I feel like now that we've had two weeks to digest things, I think we can probably make a little bit more sense than we did on the Kyrie emergency, emergency pod. Um, and then we also have Russell Westbrook's extension. We have Nerland's Noel and his lack of extension. Um, Ben's Instagram magnets. <laughs> and at the end, I think we should do a couple over-unders just for fun.
1: That's a long list. We better jump into it. I think my the the first one that you mentioned, I think was the Lakers. I'm really curious. Like, do you think this is a big deal or just like the slap on the wrist, tampering, oh, you know, big market team can just afford to find no big deal, we all move on? Or is this something that has
0: like bigger implications to you? I think it has sneaky big implications. I think it's one of those things where for the first week I kind of laughed it off and you know, because a lot of this is business as usual and teams talk, players talk and tampering is generally overstated. But in this case, the Pacers really did get screwed in hindsight. Like if we go back to the first Paul George rumors in June, I mean, sure. Like you could say that they should have traded him at the deadline, but then by the time we got to June, Paul George's agent was calling teams saying, look, you can try to trade for him, but he's only going to be here for a year. And after that, he's going to LA. And that cut his value in half. I mean, his value was already pretty depressed because there was only one year on on the deal, but like whatever value there was going to be was pretty much gone at that point. And there's no real reason for another player not to do the same thing and sort of, angle his way and force his way to the team that he wants
1: it is kind of funny that like this beautiful image of the nba's glory days of the 80s you know uh larry and magic magic and larry has now culminated in larry taking his ball and going home and just retiring <laughs> <laughs> i mean, magic desperately attempting on national tv to steal larry's best player and then getting hit
0: with a half million dollar fine for it uh, didn't necessarily, I didn't even think about the Larry and magic aspect of this. That's really tough because I feel like Larry, I, I don't like to see him go out with a whipper that way, but I mean, I guess that's sort of what happened.
1: I don't think anybody does. And, and I think you didn't think about it because it got left out of the soft focus, you know, documentary 30 for 30 on their loving <laughs> yeah. friendship. I mean, somehow they didn't cover that in, a, you know, this chapter of that, but I'm pretty conflicted. On the one hand, we have seen some of these tampering situations before. They usually blow over pretty quickly. They're not a big deal. On the other hand, if you have you know a guy like Polinka or some of these other younger executives who are coming from the agent side where I'm not saying all agents are dirty, but those guys like to push the envelope, right? Like they just live in gray areas. Uh, you know, you, you hear about it, you know, all the time in terms of you know recruiting players, you know, real early in their lives, teenagers, and, and all that kind of stuff. If we're going to get yeah, to a it's situation, a
0: super shady business, it, it
1: just is. I mean, that's just how it is. There's so much money at stake. Uh, in a lot of cases, these kids don't have direction, right? If you're going to get an NBA environment where you have a bunch of former agents as the executives, and you're getting into this constant recruiting battle over star talent, and stars are going to be recruiting each other. This is going to be a very big issue facing the league going forward. And the small markets, like you're mentioning, were already at a disadvantage, right? If the gloves are off and the only thing that teams are worried about is fines and these there's so much money at stake that these teams can easily cut the checks to the league office, uh, this is going to be a festering issue. And, and Adam Silver has done a great job as commissioner, but I don't think he's really policed this tampering thing that carefully. I mean, we've got, you know... For one example, C.J. McCollum's like tweeting out photos of Carmelo Anthony in a Blazers jersey. Like, can you imagine what color David Stern's face would have turned if that had happened during the David Stern era as commissioner? He would have lost his mind. I mean, all oh, players recruiting players openly on the Internet. And yet there's no response at all uh, from Adam Silver's uh, you know office. So to me they got to tighten this up. I mean, they really do have to figure this out. I don't know if there's got to be new guidelines. This is okay. This isn't okay. But I don't think players should be able to recruit each other openly on social media. I think that just feeds into this. And certainly the stuff that the Lakers were doing behind the scenes, when you can prove it, it should be prosecuted. And it does feel like there should be a stronger penalty behind it. Otherwise, we're leaving the Indianas and the Orlandos of the world to just be run over by the big market teams.
0: So that's the thing. I'm not like captain small market here, but I do think that there are situations that arise where these teams, there's just no good option for them. I mean, like you can't tell me that Oladipo, Oladipo and Sabonis probably wasn't even the best offer the Pacers had this summer, but I I think they would have had a lot more to choose from if Paul George's agent hadn't been so upfront about the intentions next summer and I don't think he's ever that up front without some like real assurances from the Lakers that they that it works on their end as well and so it's a little tough to tell like what exactly went on with the Lakers and and that's part of the problem is this all, all this stuff is going to be impossible to police and it is tricky too because some of this stuff is what makes the NBA fun and more interesting than other sports like you mentioned CJ McCollum openly recruiting guys like I do think that a lot of it, a lot of it is just sort of ridiculous and entertaining and, uh, and you don't want to crack down on like the personality aspect and even players recruiting players is generally fine with me. But once you hit the agent level where agents are really talking to teams and sort of like mapping out a blueprint, then it starts to really cross some lines and I don't know how you police it. Like I I saw Matt Moore came out, I think it was a week or two ago and said the Lakers, the NBA should have stepped in and said the Lakers cannot sign Paul George because if you do that, this never happens again and every team goes out of their way to follow the rules. And I mean, I don't know if I that's probably too extreme, but $500,000 seems too light a penalty for them. I mean, the Lakers are worth $2 billion. So like $500,000 is not an issue. And I don't know. I like, I I agree with you that this is the, this is the type of thing where Adam Silver, super popular, generally really good commissioner so far, but he, he is going to have to crack down because like, there's no reason Anthony Davis can't sort of in two, in a year say, I want to go to team X And that's where I'm going to sign in two years. So you might as well trade me there now. And then like, what the hell do the Pelicans do in that situation?
1: Yeah. And I I actually don't think we should uh, overlook or understate the the player's role in this when it becomes public, because uh, you get this slow bleed of headlines. Anytime one of these guys recruits each other openly on social media, which used to just not be allowed at all. Every time that headline happens, it goes straight to Center. It goes straight to every single... I mean, that's part of the aggregation world now, right? It's like this player says, I want to get this player on my team. When you have that mounting uh, you know, pile of headlines day after day, week after week, month after month, where it's just open uh, and available, it absolutely affects uh, a team's trade position. I think we've seen that not only in the Paul George situation, but other star trade scenarios as well. Uh, in recent years, and so uh, I think the the Pacers shouldn't be the only team who are upset by this. And I'm surprised that more owners haven't come out and publicly said like, "Hey, we've got to clean this up." I mean this this does seem to be a little bit you know too murky. Uh, and I also just wonder, you know, as we try to see the next round of super teams. Okay, who's going to like be able to compete? Uh, you know, you know with Golden State. Like it's one thing if guys like Chris Paul. And James Harden are sort of recruiting behind the scenes. They're telling their friends, hey, like come come to Houston, take a pay cut. Let's do this. That's sort of how the NBA has been for years and years. It's another if these second tier teams start going out there and basically launching public campaigns, their players do, uh, to try to get these other free agents next summer. And there's going to be a lot of big name free agents next summer. And I think that's really the issue to me. We had a really ugly, messy summer this summer, and there wasn't even that many guys who were free agents. When we look ahead to next summer's class, it could get completely
0: out of control. (laughs) And there's an element of it that I kind of like, just from a chaos standpoint, where it becomes who's the best at tampering and who's the best at recruiting. Right now, it's clearly the Warriors. But, I mean, it would be fun to have the Lakers... like. Magic Johnson turned full heel and just start stealing people's players and I think we might be headed there but I do think it's an issue that the league should address if because like half the teams in the league just have no hope at at ever doing that and part of it is I mean like the Wolves are a good example of a team that became good enough so that they became a viable destination for Jimmy Butler so maybe that's one way you solve it but it's tough, and it's tough for teams like teams in Indiana, teams in Oklahoma City, New Orleans are always going to have trouble like recruiting guys two years in advance. So it's not really a level playing field. On, on another note with the Lakers, I'm really, really excited to watch the Lakers. I, I, I saw Lonzo Ball's rookie of the year odds and was thinking back to our psychedelic experience watching Lonzo Ball with LeBron courtside, and it's going to be a fun team. Well, I think you start
1: you need to call him LeBronzo. I mean, that's really where this is going. Anytime you're going to refer to <laughs> the future of the Lakers, you have to use that name. I mean, we got to just ingrain that in people's uh, mentalities. I think the Lakers are actually going to be pretty bad again next season, no doubt about it, and I think that's why like their chief policy this summer was to just openly tamper (laughs) like I think that was their goal because they're like hey I mean yeah what's the worst that could happen next season I mean not a lot right um and but they're laying the groundwork for next summer when I look ahead to next summer that is one of the most attractive destinations out there even though it sounds crazy to say that now even though they've had these you know years and years of losing uh I don't really view this whole tampering thing. Like, I've seen a few commentators say, oh, it's like in a, it's a great example of uh, the Lakers' lack of experience in the front office, or their rookie GM made a mistake, or they, they just haven't learned the rules yet. I kind of see it the opposite. I, much more cynically, it's like, oh, these guys know what it takes to win, <laughs> yeah. to steal these talent. These guys are evil again, and they're going to do it.
0: Yeah. And that's the part that I'm going to enjoy. I like after talking about Lonzo ball pretty much every day for two months in June and July, I some, I sort of forgot that he exists. And so now we're going to have Lonzo back in the mix in September and October. And then every game is going to come with like bullshit stories about guys that they're going to sign this summer and it's just going to be such a bizarre basketball experience. And I'm all in. Because I, I, I do really like Palinka, Like, Brook Lopez getting thrown randomly into the mix. Contavious uh, caldwell Pope as, like, the goodwill branch to Rich Paul. It's It's going to be so strange. And, yeah, you're right. They are going to win, like, 25 to 30 games next year. But I think the difference for me is that there was actually some anxiety because I want the Lakers to be good again. And there was some anxiety watching Lakers games the past few years because they had to be incredibly crappy. Like, they had to be bottom three to keep their pick. And now they don't even have a pick. So, like, they can win games. They can lose games. It's just going to be all over the map. Zero stakes except for recruiting next year. Brandon Ingram – I think could take a step forward and could be fun. So this is, that was like just a, a, a weird preview of where my head was at, uh, this afternoon. <laughs> like I just totally forgot about how ridiculous the Lakers are going to be this year.
1: The most impressive part about that was how quickly you've moved on from D'Angelo Russell. I mean, not too long ago, he was your favorite. <laughs> he was your favorite player. You thought I was a horrible person for ever questioning his leadership uh, or integrity as a point guard. And now you don't even mention him when you're trying to sell me on the amazing Lakers future. I love it. Congratulations.
0: Look, man, we've had a lot of broken Lakers dreams over the past few years. So just let me, let me live. Don't judge me. Uh, And I'm not completely in on Lonzo either, but I'm in on the, on the ridiculous show that we're going to be getting, but we should move on. Well, Um, actually I have one, I
1: have one final thought though, on this Paul George thing, the best possible explanation for settling for Victor Oladipo and DeMontis Sabonis in that trade package is actually as like the ultimate high horse move. When you realize that Paul George (laughs) has just completely submarined and screwed over your franchise with, you know, months of headlines about how he's not going to come back. And then they come forward with the, uh, you know the public disclosure that he let the Pacers know he wasn't going to re-sign with them next summer. The best reason to settle for that terrible of a package is then you can go to Adam Silver's office and say, "Look, Adam, this is how damaging this was to us. <laughs> we had this silly really
0: good point. We had man. to settle for Victor
1: Oladipo and Damante Sabonis. This is all we could get, regardless of all these other reports about the better trade packages out there." That was all they could muster. And then, you know, if you're really trying to make a statement about tampering, that's the way to do it.
0: (laughs) Something needs to be done. This is a crisis. Have you seen DeMontis Sabonis play basketball? This was the best we could do. That is by far the best explanation that we've seen for that trade. So thank you for that. All right, now we can move on. Okay. All right, let's move on to um, Kyrie here. Where are you at with a Kyrie trade two weeks later? I think if I could
1: take anything back that I said on either one of the podcasts about the the Kyrie situation, I kept referencing Boston's depth. And I think that, you know, being in and out a little bit this summer, I didn't quite realize the degree to which that depth had been compromised. Uh, And so uh, I I don't want to sell hard on the idea of the Celtics in 2017-18. I'm not saying they're going to be terrible. But I kind of agree with some of the computer projections that are a little bit more conservative on how they're going to be next season. I still like the trade for them from a long-term perspective. I think that you know having a guy like Kyrie or a core with Kyrie and Hayward to try to go out there and do uh, the type of recruiting that we were just spent the last 15 minutes talking about, that's a pretty attractive package, especially for guys like Anthony Davis when you're kind of in that sweet spot age-wise of when you're going to be going after them. I think it makes a lot of sense big picture. But next season, I think they're going to be very vulnerable to, uh, you know, regression. Uh, when I look at their second unit guys, a lot of no-namers, a lot of untested, unproven players, a lot of young guys, the depth is just not the same. And Kyrie, Hayward, and Horford have all had injury issues at different times over these last couple of years. Now, some of those have varied, right? Some of them have just been 10 games missed here or there. Some have been, you know, longer than that. But if any one of those three guys goes down, they're going to get stretched real quick in terms of the type of quality that they can put on the the court. And I just think it's a much top-heavier team than I initially realized in the immediate aftermath of the trade. And from that standpoint, it's like, you know, we have all these questions. What's a team going to look like when Kyrie's its best player? Well, what's that team going to look like when Kyrie misses two weeks? You know, it could get really ugly. And so that's sort of where... I've kind of settled down a little bit on this Celtics uh, side of the trade where I like it much more for the next five years for Boston as opposed to next season for Boston. And I actually think, regardless of the Isaiah injury side of it, I think Cleveland really fortified itself in terms of making the finals next year by doing this trade.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. I think that the Cavs are still like absolutely in pole position and and Crowder will help them. I, I think like there's been a lot of celtics fans kind of crapping on crowder as he heads out the door but as a seventh man for cleveland like he is overqualified and will, will help them more than people realize um as far as you said a lot that i agree with i first of all i got off our emergency podcast and then i think shams tweeted the projected starters for boston next year and i mean if you're starting marcus morris And Jalen Brown, like, that's already a red flag. They're going to be playing Marcus Smart, like, 35 minutes a game again. I don't know. I'm 100% with you that their depth is an issue. And their depth is also a big reason they were good the past year or two. Like, they went eight or nine deep. It's why they beat the Wizards. Because they had more guys who were solid, and they could throw out there and not really lose anything. And, uh, I mean... (laughs) who can forget Kelly Olynyk driving a stake through my heart in game seven. And I'm not the world's biggest Olynyk fan, but like they're going to be winning in a completely different way now. And top heavy is probably better if you're trying to win a championship. So in that respect, I totally get it. But like if Boston thinks that Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are going to be real rotation guys, it I, that's probably naive. Yeah.
1: I mean, I think J- Jalen Brown can give you some good minutes, but yeah, uh, not a lot more than I mean, that. He, he
0: can give you he can give you good minutes, but there were also a lot of games last year where he just looked completely lost. And like he's sort of he's not as he's not that different from like Kelly Oubre in Washington, except that he's had the Celtics hype machine sort of like pumping up his value for the last year. But he's like he has some nights where he looks really solid, and he has a lot of nights where last year he just didn't have it. And then Stevens would sort of sit him down, and he would play like five minutes. Now, like, that's not really going to be an option anymore.
1: For sure. I guess what I was saying is he can give you quality minutes if you have your top three guys in position, right? Like, if you're not if you're not being asked to do that much because you're the fourth or fifth option in any given lineup, sure, he's going to give you five minutes. If Kyrie misses any time or Hayward misses two weeks or whatever it might be, where do they turn to for production? I think it gets really questionable at that point. Um it's also worth just mentioning all of the players that they've lost. I mean, think about these guys giving, you know, playing really large roles for them last year. I mean, you've got uh Avery Bradley, Jay Crowder, Jarebko, Amir Johnson, Olinick who you mentioned, uh Isaiah Thomas, you know, Zeller. That's a lot of I mean, they're not amazing players. A lot of those guys are just sort of like B players, but they're better than the guys who are still remaining. And, and that's really where I get concerned and uh Maybe I wouldn't be so concerned if Kyrie really was a legit, like, top three point guard, you know, all around point guard. Right. uh, Who's proven it, who's won big. Like, if he's Chris Paul, right? Like, if they have Chris Paul on that team, uh, I'm going to look past some of these other depth issues. Kyrie hasn't shown to be that yet. Uh, On the contrary, we all know his flaws. And so I think that's where I'm uh, getting a little bit nervous on their behalf.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's a big bet on Brad Stevens and their system in two respects. Like number 1, they're betting that putting Kyrie in Stevens's offense is going to make him even more efficient and just dangerous as a scorer um and he'll basically be I guess adjacent to what Isaiah was last year cuz Isaiah was like pretty incredible last year. So let's say Kyrie averages 30 a game. And then the other bet, which I totally understand because most good teams have to do this, is they're saying, look, Brad Stevens is a good coach, our front office is good, and we are going to sort of turn over the back end of the roster every year or two and trust our coach to get the most out of these sort of like B and C-plus players, Um, which like if you look at teams around the league – even the Warriors did that with Patrick McCaw and, and guys like that this year. And, but the Spurs are another team that does it constantly, the Rockets. And so maybe that's just sort of how you contend in this league is to say, we're going to, we're going to trust our coach to sort of make the most out of whatever we give him. And that's, that's certainly what Boston's doing.
1: Yeah. A couple of things. I mean, Their big three is nice. It's not blow you away nice. You know what I mean? Like Kyrie, (laughs) Hayward, and Horford, it's like meh, you know?
0: If you go through it, I mean, I don't think any of those guys are top five at their position. Definitely not Horford and Hayward. And Kyrie, like, if if we count James Harden as a point guard, Steph Curry, Russell Westbrook, James Harden, Chris Paul, John Wall, and then it's super debatable where you come down with Kyrie as like versus Kyle Lowry versus Mike Conley. In a playoff series, I would take Kyrie every time, but as far as like over 9 months of a regular season, he he's got a lot to prove. Like there've been each every year Kyrie takes like a month or two off where he just sort of like disappears and he can't really do that now.
1: Yeah. And I think the other thing that we should keep in mind is that Boston definitely overachieved last year. Like not only did Isaiah have an amazing season, but he was like ridiculous in the clutch and they won tons of close games. And when you compare their record to like their point differential, like last year, Boston was eighth in point differential. They were behind Toronto and Cleveland, barely better than Washington. So now you're, you know, and not. I mean, better than like Miami, but not like leaps and bounds better than Miami. So they were a very good, not a great team, not a true number one seed type team. And we were saying that all along. I mean, we were calling them a cute story and all that other stuff. I think that there's still a cute story. It's just a different type of story, right? Like they don't have the depth to really scare anybody. Their A-list talent, uh, you know, doesn't blow you away. It's going to be enough to beat a lot of the, you know, the weaker teams in the Eastern Conference. But for all of their movement, uh, I'm not sure they've really taken a big step forward. And I think you could make an argument. It could wind up being a half step back in the standings. It's like that old John Wooden thing, you know, like uh, don't mistake uh, activity for achievement. A lot of activity from Danny age, not totally <laughs> sure about the achievement.
0: Yeah. I, look, I'm glad we're a hundred percent on the same page here. I do like the trade because it makes them more sustainable long-term. And, I, but at the same time, I think, like you listen to certain Celtics media as Celtics fans online and it's just crazy like i wouldn't pencil them in to the eastern conference finals and that like that's treated as blasphemy if you if you say that online and i'm not sure why because they really have like gutted the entire roster for Kyrie who's good but not necessarily like uh, he's it's I think certain people are talking about this deal like Kyrie's about to turn into Kobe. And I don't really see that. I don't think that Kyrie was being held back by LeBron. Um, I do think that that the element of this trade that makes a lot of sense is Isaiah's hip was more hurt than any of us realized. And I think they were already kind of on the fence about whether to pay him. And then this hip injury sort of got worse in the playoffs and became a running thing that probably affected the way they played this summer a little bit. And so if you're Boston in that spot, it makes a ton of sense to do this Kyrie deal. Like this is probably the best case scenario for them. They were sort of bailed out of having to make a really tough decision with Isaiah where I like, I don't think if you're trying to build a team to contend after the Warriors reign is over. So like 2019, 2020 building around a 30 year old point guard with a degenerative hip condition is not the best way to go. And they didn't have very many alternatives until Kyrie kind of bailed them out at the end of the summer.
1: Yeah. I think we should actually pat ourselves in the back a little bit, because if I'm remembering correctly, we said something along the lines of Cleveland was better positioned to sustain an injured Isaiah Thomas next season than Boston would have been or maybe we said something along the lines of you know Cleveland could just slow play Isaiah Thomas's return right like they don't really need him back until like March or when right. it, whenever it might be I think that is really proven true when you look at this trade because imagine Boston trying to get back to that Eastern Conference Finals next season after the other moves that they've made and having Isaiah Thomas at like fifty percent and maybe missing all the way out till the all star break, depending on, you know, which of these r- reports and rumors you believe. I mean that's just never going to be happen. Dead on arrival. That season's already going to be a huge disappointment based on the hype that surrounds that team, right? So
0: well, not only that, I think that probably played a role in them not trading for Paul George. I think that if you go back and and look at The Celtics calculus in that moment the one thing that we didn't know as we kind of like I think at the time everybody was just shocked that they didn't really offer anything of value to Indiana Um, depending on what you believe I mean they're definitely like Celtics nation thinks that they would have gotten the deal done a week after they signed Hayward but as far as we know they never really made an offer for Paul George in June and I think part of the reason is that they looked at it and said look we have one year to recruit Paul George and Isaiah might miss half that year. And then even if he comes back and we succeed in recruiting Paul George, like I don't know if Paul George would would re-sign in Boston without Isaiah. And it it comes back again. Like they don't necessarily want to commit their future to a 30-year-old with a bad hip. Yeah, and even so,
1: and even put it aside, you know, put aside the future. Like it doesn't make sense to have a big four where you're like cashing in all your chips for Paul George and then signing Hayward and keeping Horford if Isaiah, you don't have a point guard. Like if you don't even have a point guard out yeah. there to run the show, what's the point? And so I think from Boston's side, uh just passing that buck to Cleveland and saying, "You go ahead and deal with it. We'll take Kyrie and try to, you know, build something around him over the next 2 to 3 years." That is definitely preferable. Uh from Cleveland's side, uh, they're still in position to wait on Isaiah. You know, I don't think that they need to rush it. We've mentioned this before. They've dealt with midseason injuries. Uh, you know, this whole idea of like the Cavaliers thriving on adversity. I mean, this kind of fits into that wheelhouse. Uh, and I think, you know, Isaiah, whenever he does come back, is going to have a lot to prove and he's going to be fresh. Uh, and so I think from that yeah. standpoint, if you're Cleveland, you're cool with it. Uh, you did, you know, you did well enough on the rest of the terms, whether it's Crowder, who you you know rightly mentioned is going to be a, a nice player for them, or that draft pick. Uh, You did well enough on on the the minor details uh, to sustain. Yeah, getting
0: that pick unprotected was a big win because they easily, like, this is one thing, I don't understand why the Celtics didn't say, look, we're going to give you the worst pick of the Lakers pick versus the Nets pick this year. Or try to put, like, a little bit of protection on that to protect themselves if the, the Nets pick is one or two or three. And to not, to not allow the Celtics to do that was a big win for the Cavs.
1: In hindsight, that should have been the red flag that we knew Isaiah was truly screwed up. <laughs> yes.
0: Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point.
1: Uh, but yeah, no, I, I mean, you know, I, I think Cleveland, like I said, pole position in the Eastern Conference, and I think you have a pretty intriguing collection of teams in that chase pack. And I don't think it should just be limited to Washington and Toronto I think Milwaukee should still be in this mix, man. Like, I think I'm enough of a believer in Giannis' next step and Middleton a full season of Middleton and the other pieces that they've got. I was going to
0: say this is Chris. This is your Chris Middleton bias showing through.
1: No, well, you know, I just got off the phone with Rob Mahoney. We were talking about this. He likes Middleton even more than I do. It's amazing, but (laughs) uh, like part of stripping Boston's depth, though, it's not just about you know altering that power balance with a team like Washington, but it also allows. It kind of turns these playoff series into whose best player uh, turns out to be the best guy in the series, right? And are you necessarily going to say, like, Kyrie is going to beat Giannis in a series? I'm not ready to say that next year. Not 100%. I mean, I think uh, I would expect him to. He's a little bit more experienced. He's in his prime, but we don't know that for sure. And, you know, same thing with a guy like Kyle Lowry in Toronto. If he goes into a playoff series healthy, what what can he do now that he's got a little bit, maybe more supporting help uh, than a team like Boston? So. To me, it's Cleveland and a bunch of uh, acute stories. Again, it's the same thing. I mean, it's a bunch of teams that aren't full, that aren't really ready to mount finals uh, trips who are at least going to make it uh, intriguing for us.
0: Fuck off, all right? (laughs) You, I was about to say the East is wide open and it's pretty exciting. And then you had to come in with your condescending, a bunch of cute stories I think it's going to be more entertaining this way than it would have been otherwise. Okay, well, but let me, let yes, me, let me, me ask you this.
1: Let me ask you this. Does Washington make the playoffs in the show, in the Western Conference? Are they a playoff team? The Wizards?
0: Yeah. I mean, you're not <laughs> going to get me to say that they're not going to make the playoffs but you, in the West.
1: But you hesitated. Does Boston make the playoffs not, in the West?
0: You're right. You're right. It's not a sure thing for any of these teams past the Cavs. That's, that's a fair point. Um, I have two more thoughts on this Kyrie trade before we move on. Number one, you mentioned the Cavs having the luxury to wait on Isaiah and that's true. And I can't wait to watch Isaiah this year because if you look at this big picture, he's the guy who totally got screwed. Like he was basically playing through pain the, the last year, at least for the Celtics. And I think they probably warned him about the consequences and he probably knew the consequences, but I don't know if he totally knew it was going to play out like this because I think he, he certainly talked like he was a Celtic for life and he just sort of had his world turned upside down. And he's also the type of dude who was just impossible to root against over the last few years. And so it's, it's sucked watching him sort of have things go sideways here. Um, and I, no matter what, like I can't wait to root for him to get paid by somebody. Whether it's Cleveland, whether it's Chicago, like I just want that dude to get twenty million dollars a year. Uh, and at the same time, I worry about his fit with Cleveland because I'm not like a huge defense guy, as you know. But <laughs> I've never seen anyone. Targeted so effectively in a playoff series as Isaiah was last year against the Wizards. And I think that if you think about the teams that really excel at targeting guys, like nobody is better than the Warriors. They're in kind of a league of their own in that category. And uh, so it'll be like, I don't know how you have him on the floor against Golden State.
1: Yeah, it's really tough to try to beat Golden State in a series when you don't have five guys who are at least passable defenders or can kind of fake it um, for you know when, especially when you're playing their best units. And I don't think Cleveland can do that right now. I mean, I look at their lineups; they just can't put you know that type of personnel on the court. Maybe they do a midseason trade, you know, flip that pick or something to to try to bolster that. But as it stands right now, I think the gap got meaningfully wider between Golden State and Cleveland. Yeah. Over the summer, hey, one thing on Isaiah though. This is kind of crazy. I mean, even after next season, his total career earnings is going to basically be like $29 million, which is essentially like one year of Russell Westbrook or James Harden at this point. So, I mean, this is a guy who was in the MVP conversation last year, uh, has a crazy turn of events to even get there in terms of all the trades and the movement and the breakout season and the perfect offensive system. And he just goes nuts for four or five straight months. Everything lines up perfectly. And yet he may not cash in. I mean, this injury and depending on how he looks when he comes back and some of these questions that you're raising in terms of, you know, can you hide him and so on and so forth. I mean, he is going to be under a big time microscope after uh, he gets back on the court right before his big payday. And we saw some other guys not really cash in as big as we expected, whether it's Kyle Lowry or some of these other names who are at a similar age uh, to Isaiah, you know, once he goes into free agency next summer, it would be a real shame if like his massive payday gets, you know, basically sidelined because of uh, this injury issue uh, after he's kind of been waiting for it and waiting for it here over the last three years.
0: I know, man, it's terrible. And like you go back, I was reading through the Kyrie press conference and they asked him about replacing Isaiah Thomas and Kyrie who, by the way, that, that whole press conference was Kyrie at his fake deep best. Like, <laughs> we should talk We should talk about Kyrie's personality at a later date, but he was absolutely like first ballot hall of famer, fake deep Kyrie there. Uh, But yeah, at one point he was talking about Isaiah Thomas or someone asked him, do you feel an extra burden taking on Isaiah Thomas's role as the point guard? And Kyrie says like, is there ever such thing as one person carrying a whole team? I don't think so. Which first of all, That sounds smart, but actually isn't uh, because (laughs) nobody was suggesting that one, it was one on five, but, uh, Isaiah carried that team as much as one player ever could. Like he probably won them five to 10 regular season games last year by himself and single handedly turned the Wizards series with that 53 point game in the playoffs. So like people shouldn't sleep on how amazing he was last year and in particular Kyrie, uh, since he's replacing him. And I agree. I think, I think everybody could agree that what's happened to Isaiah is just bullshit.
1: Well, look, you're calling him fake deep Kyrie. I want to coin a new nickname. This just came to me as you were reading that quote. I think we should call him coffee shop Kyrie because he's got that, you know, he's at the coffee shop. Uh, he 's got uh, you know the the tweed jacket you know he 's reading the factoids off the side of the coffee cup and and then reading them back to you, dropping them in casual conversation, trying to appear you know incredibly intelligent, but the entire time you 're kind of smiling and nodding and saying, you know that doesn 't really make sense like i don 't really know <laughs> where you 're going it's
0: really it 's a really rough look because condescending people in general are are tough to put up with. But people who are condescending and also not as smart as they think they are, are just the worst. And Kyrie is like at the top of that list right now.
1: Yeah, coffee shop Kyrie. Well, you'll love him, Boston. <laughs> It'll be great. I yeah, I think good that,
0: luck. Good luck with that.
1: I mean, I definitely think it's his team there in Boston. I think that uh, there's no question pecking order-wise. Is he going to be as loved as Isaiah was? I think he's going to find similar success offensively uh, with Stevens in Boston. Uh, because I think he's just a better version of what Isaiah does. And I think, you know, in this sort of like, you know, free mentality of he can have whatever he shot he wants. He gets to run everything. Everything revolves around him. That should set him up for major success. Will he win people over? Like, will he win the hearts and minds in the same way that Isaiah did? I don't know. And I think part of the deal is his personality. You know, like, I, I don't think he comes across genuine like an Isaiah does. uh, I can't totally put my finger on why, uh, but I'm not going to call him coffee shop IT. You know, there's never like this fake (laughs) pseudo-intellectual. Like if Isaiah is going to take shots at like the SI top 100, he's just going to tweet out his shots. He's not going to try to compare it to, you know, some like third world battle from 150 years ago that he just read about, you know, something that Kyrie might
0: try to do. So I don't know. Good old coffee shop Kyrie. I think you're right. I think that's going to be one of the subplots that's fascinating to watch all year because his whole shtick is not going to go over very well in Boston and, but he is great. And you're right that like, I think if, if Brad Stevens can succeed in turning his long twos into threes and he gets more catch and shoot opportunities, like he's going to be awesome in that offense. Um, and that might be all that matters. The other thing is he is absolutely like he sort of forced his way to Boston. Uh, because I think like there's, there are reports out there that he told Milwaukee and Phoenix that he was not going to resign if they traded for him. And Boston like far, always had the best offer, but it was far and away the best offer because of the way this played out. And there's no reason that Anthony Davis couldn't do that in two years. So that's a factor as well. Like Kyrie, it, like it's not as crazy as it sounds to start talking about uh, uh, Anthony Davis. Although, as a Wizards fan who spent several years of my life planning around Kevin Durant's possible arrival via free agency. I will say that it's dicey to publicly pine after a superstar for, for, multiple years it doesn't always end the way you think it ends
1: yeah one thing I'd say with Kyrie in Boston too is it's possible for him to have a career year best year of his life eclipse Isaiah on the court and for Boston to have a worse record than last season right yeah and that is
0: I think that's what is gonna happen right
1: yeah and this is gonna seem like a shot at you but it's not really but like the Wizards had 44 win 46 wins 41 wins with pretty good individual years from John Wall, right? A lot of times, depth yeah. or the supporting cast, like you know, kind of reared its ugly head and kind of held those teams back, right? So if you're this one man show, or you know, you're supported by Hayward, who's very, very good all around player, but maybe he's not going to be out there for 82 games, right? You can have uh, a nice season, you can win 45 games, and you might be, you know, the four seed. How do people respond when that's the big grand opening of Kyrie's Celtics career? That's what I'm curious about. Like, does that change his perception? Does it change people's perception about Boston's long-term future? Does it change their perception as a recruiting destination, right? Like, it's one thing if you're uh, a number one seed or a number two seed Eastern Conference Finals led by Kyrie. It's another if you're just part of this pack uh, and you're competing for Anthony Davis. You know, you're back to the old thing of like, what are you really selling Uh, and uh, that's where it gets a little bit dicier.
0: Yeah. And that's one of those things. I don't understand why they don't, why like the team itself, uh, or angels, little birdies don't get out in front of the story a little bit more and try to like control and temper expectations a little bit, because it is, it's going to be, uh, they're going to be sort of gelling on the fly. And, you know, like a fourth seed is still a successful season for them, given everything that's happened. Um, and they're still super well-built for the future. But um, anyways, we should move on. Uh, what, what do you think? Let, let's save Westbrook extension for Friday's pod. Um, what? What's your take on Nerland's Noel and how he played the Mavs thing?
1: He got played or he played the Mavs. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe he played himself. Uh, I think people don't go the one-year qualifying route offer quite enough for my liking you know I think it it is risky but it can really pay off Uh, now that's easier said from the outside uh, than the inside but when I look at Dallas's long-term future don't they have to pay him eventually I mean I can understand why they would still want him to prove it Uh, I do think he overvalued himself especially based on what he's been able to do uh, you know over the course of the last couple of years because of the injuries I could understand why there wouldn't be this huge outside market for him, given that uh, his type of player, you know, there's a pretty good supply of those guys at this point. But Dallas needs a center, period. (laughs) They're going to have to pay for him eventually. And uh, if this was his best offer, rather than settling, I I can kind of see where he's coming from. Uh, But I guess given his injury concerns, uh, I'm surprised he didn't take the money. I'll put it that way.
0: Yeah, I'm surprised too, but I'm not going to come down on him as hard as various people on basketball Twitter did when this news broke because I get it that he feels like especially over the last few years, I think he was in Philly and like the only thing that kept him going was the thought of like a 24 million dollar payday at some point, like he was he was going to go sign a 90 million dollar deal and it was all going to be worth it. And so I understand that that those were his expectations coming in, and frankly, I don't understand why why Dallas wouldn't sign him. Um, to to like, would you give him four for eighty even if the market wasn't there? No, probably
1: not. Really, you you love New Orleans, man. I I'm still waiting. I am, I'm, I'm higher still on Nerlens than
0: it. most people. You
1: know, you're New yeah, you're Orleans' agent, he, basically.
0: <laughs> I am. I am, and I also will say that like. In my mind, he's this awesome double-double machine, rim runner, great defense. And then I saw his numbers this year, even in Dallas, and they were not super impressive. He he averaged like eight points a game or, or maybe eight rebounds and like 11 points. I don't know. It wasn't great. Uh, but still, I do think that he's, he's kind of the answer for them and fits perfectly in Rick Carlisle's offense. And this is a team that like, has struck out over and over and over again in free agency over the last like 10 years. So if I were the Mavs, I definitely would have overpaid to just sort of like have that security and have him as part of the the future for the next four four or five years. Um, And Nerland's like, I, if it depends on what he's asking for, if he, if he's demanding a max, then that's insane. Um, And if he's expecting a max next summer, then that's probably not going to work out but I do think that he can go somewhere and get like 18 to $20 million a year. And it sounds like the Mavs kind of took that off the table once they realized there was no market.
1: Yeah. Uh, where are the Mavs going next season anyways, right? Like how does this crystallize for them? I mean, I think they're hoping that the best case scenario, Dennis Smith Jr. hits huge. So he's their franchise yeah. guy. And then if that's the case, then they'll have money to pay guys like Nerlands because Smith will be on a rookie contract. So, I don't know. I'm not sure it's a huge deal either way, um, you know, the, the, the way this played <laughs> it's, it's out. It's
0: probably not. Nerland's hype has been a passion project of mine for about three years. So, just let me have this one. Yeah, no, you're, you're free to have it. Um, I, I, I still don't totally understand. Why do you think he's so good again? <laughs> I just think he's like the prototypical center that you would want today. Where like he can he can guard multiple positions, he can hang on the pick and roll whenever you need him to, and he sort of stays out of the way on offense, which is fine. And if you're the Mavs, he's actually even more perfect for the Mavs because the Mavs should lose for the next year or two. Like Dennis Smith is not going to suddenly like turn things around down there. And Nerlens is not good enough to jeopardize like their rebuilding efforts but he's good enough to be a solid piece for whenever they do like get another guy or two in there that can actually help them start playing meaningful games again um like he's a he's a really solid fourth or fifth starter and like 18 and 20 million dollars a year is kind of what those guys cost now so you didn't want to get into the agent drama behind this though like happy walters's
1: tweet and all that you you didn't want to dive no. into this
0: Although it's a good reminder, as we said earlier, that that whole business is just incredibly shady. And like, I, I have no idea who to believe on that one.
1: So if, if you were his agent and you got a four-year $70 million offer from Dallas, it could just be signed, sealed, and delivered. All the injury concerns don't matter anymore. He's got a home. He can be locked into this core with, you know, Dennis Smith and Harrison Barnes and whoever else they can, you know, scrounge up,
0: you wouldn't have taken it? Oh, no, I definitely would have taken it. <laughs> I mean, let's not let's not get it twisted because who knows what the, the money will be there. Like, next summer, I mean, what's he going to do? Go sign with the Hawks? Like, there are only four or five teams that are going to have money. I'm just saying that if you're the Mavs, like, overpaying a little bit to make sure that you have that guy in place is probably worth it because he, he could just as easily walk next summer and then they're going to turn around and say, well, like we got to go draft a center now and that's stupid too yeah and cuz they really have no other available options on hand that's why it's such
1: a risk from Dallas's standpoint i don't know what Dallas has been doing the last 5 years do you have any real clear idea of of what their <laughs> plan is I, like this is maybe like the fifth most confusing thing they've done and it makes no sense you know like are they coming that's, are they so, going
0: <laughs> that's a really good point <laughs> they i i think i would feel better about pinning all of this on Nerlens being irrational if this team hadn't like very recently overpaid for an injured Wes Matthews and they, like there's not really much rhyme or reason to what they're doing what they're trying to be and I just wish that they would sort of like take a step back and say all right we're gonna ride out Dirk's twilight and plan around Dennis Smith and New and a couple other young guys. And instead they sort of, they bring in like, who knows what they're going to try to pay Seth Curry at some point.
1: Yeah. And he's actually one of their like big home runs too. I mean, that's like one of the best moves that they made was adding Seth Curry. Uh, I mean, finding Yogi Ferrell was, was pretty strong too, but yeah, I don't know. Like I really have no idea what they're trying to do. Um, I feel like it's going to get pretty dark next season. I mean, I think people forget, like, Dirk's start of last season was really, really rough. I mean, shades of, like, Kobe post-Achilles rough. Uh, He he kind of figured it out down the stretch a little bit, but still, they were totally irrelevant, and I think they're headed for total irrelevancy again this season. Uh, All they have to cheer for is Dennis Smith. How does Rick Carlisle deal with the rookie point guard? Huge question. And then now you're going to have Nerlens, who, like you said, is, like, one of the angstiest players in the league and for good reason because he was uh completely you know swallowed up by the process in philadelphia now he's just like stewing and waiting for his real payday <laughs> which may never come uh i don't know man uh it, it could yeah, be it's a- it could be a wacky year in dallas
0: right and it's this is a seth curry contract here i just looked up his his number he's making three million dollars a year now um and like He'll be worth it to somebody, but I'm not sure if he'll be worth it to the Mavs, but I could totally see them c- going out and giving him like $50 million next summer. Um, just because that's been like par for the course, but uh, all right, let's hit some over The only thing I want to talk to you about as far as your vacation is concerned is I'm sick of you posting all of these pictures from national parks and not sharing the new magnets that you've added to your magnet collection.
1: I bought some fantastic magnets. You know, I took a picture, I sent it to you. I went to an amazing drugstore called Wall drug Store in South Dakota. Have you heard of it?
0: No. It, was it even better than the Corn Palace? It was
1: better than the Corn Palace, although that was close. Wall Drug is internationally known drugstore because they have so many signs advertising for hundreds of miles uh, as you come up to this drugstore in the middle of nowhere so i had to get a magnet from that place uh, the corn palace was fascinating also uh, south dakota you know mike miller is from that town it really is a legit corn palace they like made it into a palace and then they have these murals that are fashioned from different color corn and, you know, this year's theme was Elvis, uh, Willie Nelson. It was kind of like Legends of Rock, but they changed the theme every year. Goes back 125 years. But inside this building is like a basketball court that Mike Miller basically made his name on. And like the Miller dynasty in South Dakota is uh, figures prominently there. Uh, that was a real highlight. No, I got some good magnets, man. I got some really, really good magnets. I almost have to buy a second fridge to to hold them all.
0: That's great. Uh, that got even weirder and dorkier than I expected with the Elvis Willie Nelson theme at the Corn Palace. Um didn't tell me about that one.
1: <laughs> no, but- like, I, I need to really frame this for you. These are a huge building. I mean, it's like legitimately they're trying to make it a palace, right? So we're talking these murals are probably 80 feet tall. And they're designed all in corn cobs, but they're specifically raised corn in different colors. There's black corn, there's brown corn, there's the typical maize, there's yellow. And they put them together in these murals with the with the corn to honor various things. So they had, you know, during World War II, for example, they honored the troops. Of course they would honor the troops. They had one about yep. uh, conversa- uh, con- conservation in the national parks one year uh they've celebrated various country stars rock legends of course i mean of course you would have a giant corn portrait of elvis presley in the middle of south dakota (laughs) why wouldn't you see
0: that's i want pictures of that i want pictures of the magnets because you bought one magnet that was just a gun which i think was from (laughs) wyoming um and i like you've perfected the the nature photos that are so beautiful they look like they're fake and they look like a desktop background but i want more like scenes from on the ground on the ground in south dakota with the shrine to mike miller that's, that's how we're gonna take your Instagram to the next level. Okay. And I just had to, I had to voice that on the pod.
1: Well, let me teaser this because I've actually got a, a whole number of Instagram drafts drawn up for you. I'm gonna just, I'm gonna walk.
0: <laughs> I'm sure you do, I'm gonna, I have no
1: doubt. I'm gonna walk through some of my favorites. Now you said you wanted an on the ground shot in South Dakota. What about an aerial view of Mount Rushmore? Because I've got that coming. I've also got downtown Fargo, the famous Fargo Theater in North Dakota. I've got a beautiful old truck. Uh, with a lit up sign behind it. I've got moose. I've got bighorn sheep. I've got a black bear coming, uh, a mountain goat in Montana. I've got some heat on deck, Andrew, so just be patient.
0: (laughs) The streets are waiting. Uh, So wait, real quick, Mount Rushmore was drone friendly?
1: No, Mount Rushmore is not drone friendly, but I had to revert to the original drone, also known as a helicopter um, but the, oh my God, but the angle, <laughs> the angle, the picture's taken at it's questionable. Like people are definitely going to think it's from a drone. So don't ruin the surprise.
0: Okay. All right, good. Um, well, I don't know how we can top that, but we should do a couple over unders here. Uh, so I picked these pretty randomly, although the most incredible over under of the year, unquestionably was the Sixers. They opened at 42.5, which is just incredible to me. And they've been bet down to 40.5. Where do you stand?
1: Oh, I'm still going under. I mean, let's be honest. How many young guys are they playing? When your three best players have combined for, you know, less than half a season of basketball, it doesn't matter how good Joel Embiid is. I'm going to be selling on that hard. Uh, I'm not even that worried about Simmons's injury issues. Like, let's give him 82 games. I mean, rookie point guards just struggle. I think he's going to be awesome. I'm way higher on him than you are. Uh, Maybe I'm not quite as high on Fultz as you are, but it's kind of a similar thing with some of these young guys who we're talking about in Boston. Like, they can give you minutes. They're not going to give you quality winning minutes straight out of the gate. That just doesn't really happen. So if you're betting the over at 40.5, you are basically part of, you know, Joel Embiid's family at this point. I think that's pretty much <laughs> the only way that that would work.
0: Um, I mean, the, the, honestly, like I see that, and I'm glad that I don't live in Las Vegas, like in close proximity to a casino, because I don't know what I would do if I if I could actually like put lots of money betting against the Sixers. Like, I would probably take out loans. <laughs> I would like
1: reverse mortgages. <laughs>
0: The Sixers under would be my long-term financial plan, and uh, that's probably not healthy. But but yeah, you're right. Like it's not even a shot at what they have because I kind of like what they have. But when guys are 19 and 20 years old, they're they're gonna struggle. Like as a Wizards fan, like John Wall and Bradley Beal, who are now pretty great, it took them like three or four years before they were actually good NBA players. And by that time, like the, the rest of the wizards were a mess, but it's going to take folds like a couple years. It's going to take Dennis Smith a couple years before any of the hype begins to be realized. And, Embiid and if Embiid were going to play eighty two games, I could kind of understand the idea. But no, nah, even then. Forty nah,
1: games. Even then I wouldn't, just because remember back to last season, my favorite, you know, talking point, Minnesota. You fell in love with Minnesota. I think you're showing a lot of growth on this podcast by selling Philadelphia <laughs> because it's the exact same phenomenon. I mean, Minnesota didn't even come close to that forty point five line. Um and they had great health from Wiggins and Towns. Like, that's their main young core guys, right? And they really struggled. And you could even say Embiid's better than Towns. Like, Embiid next year will be better than Towns last year, but is he going to be as healthy? I don't know. Uh, And then I think there's a question mark in terms of, like, okay, are they going to have anyone who's as effective, uh, you know, as a Wiggins or as proven as a Rubio uh, on the Sixers roster next year? I'm not sure I see it. I mean, they got a lot of, you know, no namers uh, or no producers, you know, backing up this, this big three. I just don't know how they got at that number. It seems wildly high.
0: Yeah. There's money to be made. Just hop on a flight to Vegas. Um, Next one, the Blazers at 42.5.
1: That's a really tough one. Um, I've seen people argue both ways. Where are you?
0: I, I really can't decide. I would probably go under just because I feel like the Blazers have been sort of a house of cards for the last two years or so. And in each case, they've been bailed out by some potentially misleading surges down the stretch. And I think at some point, this has to sort of fall apart and to the point where they have to choose between Damon and McCollum. And like the West is just so stacked that it's hard to believe that they're going to hold up this year.
1: Yeah, it's weird. I was going to say that I thought they were somewhere in between last year's team and the previous year's team. And they won 41 last year and they won 44 uh, two years ago. So somewhere in between right. would be 42.5, I think is what you said the line was. So exactly on that line. I I think my advice here would just be stay all the way away. Because I think in a best case scenario, they could be five wins over that. Nurkic balls out, every, like their main guys stay healthy. Lillard and McCollum stay healthy. Their offense really gets unlocked. Uh, they have less ego issues uh, after clearing out some salary this summer. Uh, I don't know if they're going to make 50 wins, but, you know, 47 or 48 seems possible. Uh, you seem like maybe the other way where they could fall well short of that. I mean, the the bottom of the West or the middle of the West, I guess, the bottom of the West playoff picture has gotten dicier uh, and they didn't really right. get better this summer. So, you know, relative to the competition, maybe they slide back a little bit. I could see that scenario, too. I, I wouldn't bet on the Blazers either way. I would just stay away. Let somebody else deal with it.
0: Yeah. It's base, and I feel that way about five or six teams in the West in, in part because the conference is so loaded right now. And in part, because like we have no idea what the hell to expect from Portland, from Memphis, from, uh, like Denver still has a lot to prove. Like who, who knows who's going to play point guard for them. Um, and so it's just kind of a crapshoot. Once you get past those like five or six top teams in the West, there are five others that could be playoff teams. New Orleans is another one. So uh, yeah, I'm, we're we're pretty much on the same page there. Wizards at forty
1: eight point five. Ooh, that's a tough one. Um, Come on, I feel like all my on wi- the bandwagon. With all, me. all my wizards takes are. They feel like shots at you, right? Um, (laughs) It's really hard to separate, like, my personal animus towards you and my feelings on the franchise. I mean, I feel like that's pretty close to their best-case scenario, you know? I mean, what what do you see as, like, their ceiling next year? Like, are they better than a
0: 51-win team? Really? Well, it's tricky because they're – it has to be factored in that they, they sort of lived their best-case scenario last year and I think only won 48 or 49 games. And like just health-wise, they were super thin, as we all saw in the playoffs. And, uh, but everybody stayed healthy all year, so it wasn't really a problem um, in the regular season. And that's true again. So in that respect, it's probably wise to short Wizard stock right now. But I just have a weird feeling that we're going to get to March and the Wizards. Every year, it's a new fake good team, like potentially challenging the Cavs. And I have a feeling that it could be the Wizards this year, which is not me being optimistic and I guess it is uh, technically optimism. But like, I promise you that when we get to March, I'm not going to be sitting there like a Hawks fan two years ago saying, (laughs) look... The Wizards just play the right way. They can beat the Cavs. We'll see. I promise I'm not going to be that guy. But I think that they could be the fake challenger of 2018. They've got a cohesive
1: tested, well-oiled starting five that you can put against anybody. Yeah, I can hear that. <laughs> I can hear that argument already. I think the best argument for the wizards going over is that they had to work out a lot of kinks at the beginning of last season. It was really, really ugly. Yeah. They still got to 49. So let's say they don't have to work out any kinks. They hit the ground running, maybe, you know, 52, 53 is in play. Uh, then again, yeah, you know, a soft fifty-three. Yeah. Then again, you that you lose Beal or Wall at all, and they're toast. And you lose one of those other guys, whether it's Otto or Gortat or you know Markeef Morris, and things get pretty dicey pretty quickly. Maybe you can, uh, you know, get past a, a Keefe injury with some of the younger guys, but still,
0: it, it's a little bit. You know, you get nervous. You get nervous real quick. Beal is the one guy they really can't afford to lose because Beal is probably like a 25 point per game scorer at this point in his career. And can kind of carry, like even if wall had to miss a couple weeks, Beal could kind of carry them for a little while. Uh But if you take Beal off the court wall at that point, doesn't really have anybody to pass to, and it could get pretty ugly. Um And good news. Beal is easily the most fragile player in the wizards rotation. So I don't know, bet carefully, but I would, if like, I would absolutely never bet on uh, a Wizards over under because my head is so screwed up by this team. But if I had to choose, I would take the over. I think um, I w- I
1: think I would probably go under cuz now I'm looking and I'm seeing their starters last year basically combined to miss <laughs> you know, like less- basically
0: played like 2 seasons,
1: too. Yeah, they combined to miss like less than 20 games and they all played you know large minutes. I have a hard time believing yeah. that's going to happen, but it does kind of cancel out with that slow start. I mean, they were really bad, huge hole last year. So the, what did they play, like a 55-win pace or something after, uh, you know, December? I mean, that you know, that's kind of comfortably over. Yeah. I could see cases both anyone,
0: ways. Anyone who thinks I'm just a shameless Wizards homer, go back to last year's podcasts in, like, late November and listen to how fucking dark it got talking <laughs> about the Wizards and how down on everyone I was. Uh, and I'm glad that I'm coming into this year full of optimism, which I'm sure will end well. Um, last one Lakers at 33.5 under always under on the Lakers and the Knicks. It's just the easiest money. Like
1: those are the ones that are always skewed. I mean, you'll get burned by the Knicks once every five years, but yeah, I mean, rookie point guard KCP is not actually good. He just kind of tricks people. Uh, Brandon Ingram. What about Brooke Lopez? Brandon. uh, Oh yeah. He's really had a lot of overs on the over under win totals in recent years. (laughs) (laughs) Brooke Lopez hasn't won 33 games the last five seasons combined in Brooklyn. Uh, no, I mean, I think to get over, you're really betting on huge strides from Randall and Ingram, which are, you know, possible. Um, and also just, you know, like hitting the ground running from Lonzo. And I think there's going to be some bumps for Lonzo. You know, I'm, I'm hyped to watch him play. There's no question about it. Uh, but it's tough to do it you know, when you're, you know, one and done, young guy, lots of pressure. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. I'm skeptical.
0: Oh, it's it, yeah. He's 19. <laughs> it's gonna be a mess. Just like Fultz will be a mess in Philly. Dennis Smith's the same deal. I mostly just included them because I never fail to be amazed by the Lakers over under, especially over the last few years. Like I know with the Sixers, we said it's it's not a a good idea to. <laughs> do long-term financial planning with some of these uh, over-under winnings. But like, had you gone back four or five years and just bet the under on the Lakers every year, you could probably put a kid through college oh, with for your sure. winnings. <laughs> because I, I, I honestly think this, if I'm not mistaken, the Lakers opened at 32.5 and were somehow bet up to 33.5. <laughs> so I don't know what the hell is happening. But yeah, the Lakers in the West are going to be in for a, a rough ride this year and like we said at the top it's still going to be a shit show that is really entertaining for for six months because there's going to be magic rumors every other week and palinka is going to be in the shadows tampering with paul george and lebron so i'm in but uh i i don't understand the vegas process here
1: it's got to be lavar ball taking all those sneaker profits and just plunking it down <laughs> on the over it's the only way
0: yeah Maybe. All right. Well, that's a good place to stop. Uh, Hit us up with mailbag questions. We're coming back Friday with, um, yeah, a mailbag. Um, So (laughs) it's good to be back, though. Thank you for uh, thank you for doing this. I know you, you had a four hour call with Mahoney this afternoon. So the fact that you still had more basketball opinions after that is is a testament to your character.
1: I tried. Open at mail at yeah. gmail.com open mail at gmail.com. Send us your questions. We're actually going to answer them this time. And if you did send questions uh, over the break, don't worry. We're going to get a lot of those uh, on that podcast as well. Andrew uh, until Friday, I'll
0: talk to you. All right, man. Take it easy. Another great edition of open floor is in the books. Did you know locked on has a daily podcast for all 30 NBA teams? If you're a Lakers fan, search Locked On Lakers. A Celtics fan, search Locked On Celtics. Warriors fans, search Locked On Warriors. Yes, all 30 NBA teams have a daily bite-sized podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network. Search on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts for Locked On, your favorite team. Or tell your smart speaker to play podcasts, Locked On, your favorite team. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.